Well, good morning, friends. How we doing? Good morning. I love that. Man, it's an honor to be with you this morning. I'm eager to share God's word with you. If you would, grab a copy of the word of God and turn to Philippians chapter three. It's where we're gonna be this morning, Philippians chapter three. And we're gonna start in verses seven through 11. We'll read it together in a moment. And uh, if you're taking notes, the, the title of the sermon today is Living into Christ. Living into Christ. By the way, Merry Christmas to y'all. I know this has been said a few times already this morning. So Merry Christmas. Did you know that today is actually the second day of Christmas? Is anybody familiar with that? I know, I know you know the song. I know you know the song, 12 Days of Christmas, but in reality, in church history, there are 12 days of Christmas called Christmastide. See, Advent was about preparing for the coming of Christ. And now that he's come, this is what Christmas is about, celebrating that reality. So here's the thing, if your lights are still up and your kids are still begging you for the Christmas gifts they didn't give, congratulations, it's still Christmas, there's still time. <laughs> and I know there's kids in the room, so I, just, I probably just got you in trouble. They're probably gonna check up on you after that this is over. So. But there is this reality that whereas as soon as Christmas is over, we, we kind of move quickly on to the next thing. Like as soon as it's over, you know, we, after, after doing it for about a month, Christmas happens and the day after, we're sort of looking to the new year, looking to the next thing. And I wonder why it is that we, we do that. Why are we so quick to move on? And even more so, like why do we often miss the fact that the, the coming of Christ is just the beginning of so much more and not just the end. See, I've been thinking about over the past year, a theme that I've noticed, and um, it's a quality of our life in Christ. And here's the thing that I've noticed, that after beginning with Christ, we often struggle to continue becoming like him. That after having our beginning, our foundation in Jesus, we often are, are slow and struggle they become like him. And I think this happens for a lot of reasons. I, th I think if, if you're like me, you came to Christ and there wasn't someone to immediately walk with you. There's, these years have passed where you didn't have somebody to disciple. You didn't know any better. You didn't know how to obey the commands of Jesus. You didn't know how to grow in your knowledge and your love of him. But in my role, I spent a lot of time thinking about the things that form us and shape us into the image of Christ and the things that distort us and damage that image. And as I thought about a number of the stories that I've heard over this, the past year, um, the thing that I keep noticing is, is something that's absent from the way that we talk about salvation. Here's what I see that's missing. It's, what's missing is that we, we remembering that the grounding of our faith, the thing that got us started and the growing of our faith are both found in this beautiful truth and I don't know that we've even uh, gotten used to saying it this way, but the beautiful truth is that it's union with Christ. It's union with Christ, that the grounding of our faith and the growing of our faith are found in the same source. It's being unified, attached to the life of Jesus. It's union with Christ that is missing. Second Peter 1 says it this way, that God has given us everything we've needed for life and godliness. And by that, he means that he's given us Jesus, Jesus is the power and the pattern 
for this new life that we have. And so what I wanna explore with us in our passage today, because Paul is gonna offer his life as an example of someone who's not only connected to Christ, but is also living into the ever restoring life of Jesus. Paul's confidence, his core of who he is, his confidence is not in this former story, that this former way of life, but is found in this new story, which is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So the gospel is the power by which Paul lives and it's also the pattern by which he lives. So with that, let's look together at Philippians chapter three. We're gonna begin in verse, verse three. And this is what the apostle Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin and the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It is for his sake that I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we get going here? Our Father, we need to hear from you today. Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear your word? And Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for saving us. Through your word today, would you help us to become more like you? This is our heart's desire today and we need your help. So we pray these things in your name and under your power, amen. Hey, how many people have already got your New Year's resolutions in order? It's sort of the, it's sort of the, the, the necessary question that we have to ask this time of year. How many have raised a show of hands? You already got your New Year's resolutions in order? Okay, none. Everybody's like, I've given up on goals. <laughs> Nobody. Okay, let's try this. So I think nobody's working out this year. I mean, that's a classic example. We're gonna work out more this year. Again, nothing, there we got one. A pastor leading the way. What about uh, some of y'all saying, hey, this year is finally gonna be the year that I get my, my stuff in order. I'm gonna do some spring, some spring chunking. It's not spring cleaning, spring chunking. Get rid of some stuff. Maybe some of those Christmas gifts that you just got. Uh, this is not paid advertising. She didn't pay me to say this, but my wife started doing some professional organizing this past year. And uh, she loves it and, and likes to help people prioritize and, and organize. I'm kind of bent that way too. And, but you know, each time that she starts a, a new project, um, before she begins to put anything into place, what she does is she shows up, and one of the first things that she gets them to do is she pulls everything out, 
and she begins to help them determine whether it's worth keeping or not. She helps others to process the value of that thing for their everyday life. And before it goes back to, to be part of the everyday order, there has to be a clear question that's asked and answered, which is, what is this thing worth? See, in Philippians 3, verses 3 through 7, I think this is what Paul is doing with his resume. I think Paul is laying his resume out in front of us and he's naming its worth. And I think we understand pretty well why Paul does this because we too like to lay our resume in front of people. We too like to put things in front of us about what we've done and who we are. So a lot of times this is where we find our confidence. We put our confidence in these and we stake our lives on our family pedigree. We stake our lives and put our confidence in our education opportunities. We put it in our work ethic and our work successes. This is what we talk about at parties. This is what we talk about in, in passing conversations about the things that we've done. We base it on societal status and we even base it on, on a religious resume. And that goes for the regular church attender, that goes for the life group leader, and that goes all the way up to the pastor. We, stay, we put a lot of stake in these things. But Paul says, look, if anybody should have confidence, it's me. He said, don't be full friends. He said, he's not trying to leverage those good things for Christ. So I think we, all times we, we even think like the good things that we have, they say, well, I can hang on to it because it's a good thing. I feel like it's been given to me and I'm gonna leverage for Jesus. And even Paul is saying, look, there's a lot of good things that I've had in my life and I'm not even gonna leverage those for Christ. Because in comparison, he says they mean nothing to him. They mean nothing. He says that he counts it as a loss. He counts it as rubbish. He counts it as garbage. He counts it as whatever your parental imagination goes to. You've got kids in the room. You know, you know potty language. He says it's, it's that. By comparison to Jesus, it's, it's trash. Instead, his goal is to have an ever restoring relationship with Jesus. And the question for the church at Philatob, and it's the question for us today, is how do we now live into this ever-restoring life of Jesus? How do we do that? So here's my goal today. I wanna leave you with two truths about how we begin to live into this new life in Jesus. And we learn to live into the life of Christ by one, regularly resting in his righteousness. That's gonna be the first thing that we see in Paul. And the second thing is, that we, by regularly experiencing his death and his resurrection. These are the two truths today. The way that we begin to live into the life of Christ is we regularly rest in his righteousness. And the second thing is we regularly experience his death and resurrection. Look at me in verse nine of chapter three. This is how we know uh, that we live into the life of Jesus by regularly resting in his righteousness. Paul says, and be found in him. He wants to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through Christ, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If we were just to state it as plainly as possible, Paul is talking about the gospel. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we, we don't have a right standing with God on our own, but that it is in Christ. We've been declared righteous. This is the scandal of the gospel. It's, it's what makes Christianity so unique, is that we have a God who comes to and he declares sinners even though we still have sin. 
This is scandal of grace. And this is what Paul's referring to. He says, through faith in Jesus, our sins have been forgiven and we have peace with God. And we're desperately in need of him. Christ died for us. And if you've been here for any length of time, this is a familiar message to you. This is what I'm so confident in our church is this is what we regularly preach. We open the scriptures and what we do, we proclaim Christ and him crucified and resurrected for us, for us as sinners. And this is the regular message that you heard, but I wanna be even clear about one thing today is that the gospel that Paul is referring to here is not about adding Jesus to your life. Jesus is not an addition to what already is. Jesus is the new life. In him and him alone is our new life. And we gotta get this. We have to understand this, that salvation is not dispensed from heaven. And that salvation is not deposited to your account. Salvation is not a commodity sold by Jesus. When you ask God for power and peace and comfort and grace, you may not realize this, but what you're really asking God for is for more of the risen life of Jesus. Salvation is you being attached to him. We rest in relationship to Jesus. The verb Paul uses in verse eight captures this. He says that he has counted those things in, as garbage in order that he might gain Christ. Normally this verb does mean that you add to your life. And in that case, Jesus would be just something that we just accumulate. Just accumulate more of Jesus just whenever we need him or whenever we want to show him off or need to show him off. No, Paul says that he has gained Christ, but what he, what he doesn't mean is that he has possessed Christ. Rather, Christ has possessed him. When he gained Christ, it's because Christ took a hold of him. Nothing that Paul did. And that's why it's so important for, for him to say that all those good things that he had in his life before were garbage. It's not that those things were garbage in the first place and that Jesus is just obviously better to him. No, he says, look, these things are really good. I had, he had status. Look, he, from being from the tribe of Benjamin, these things, it's part of his ethnicity. He couldn't change that. So when he says to consider it garbage, he can't just throw away his ethnicity. This is who he is. It's part of his life. But he says these really good things, they're really good things in that he suffered their loss. See, friends, this is a paradox of Christianity that there's so many good things that are given to us in our life, but they can also be the things that corrupt us. He's saying that our ongoing attachment to things can affect our attachment to Jesus. And that's why he has to say it's, it's rubbish in comparison to knowing him. Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? Uh, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Why? Because they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because you will be filled. In short, there's goodness and weakness and surrender because we get Jesus and his kingdom. 
Our anxieties often stem from unhealthy attachments. We get anxious when we're not in, a, in good relationship with people. And in the same way, we only become secure in life when we learn to rest in Christ. I know there's a theme at this point. Anybody ever seen the show Hoarders? Does anybody, anybody consider themselves a hoarder in the room? Don't want to offend here. It's, it's one of those sort of love-hate relationships. Like we, we kind of hate to watch it because it's just hard, but we, we love to watch the transformation. But if you've ever seen the show, you've seen an unhealthy You've seen unhealthy attachment. When they start to work on a new project, they they invite the project manager, but they don't just invite the project manager because it's not just the mess that needs to be cleaned up. They also invite a psychologist. Why? It's because the main problem isn't the stuff. It's not the main problem. It just reveals the problem. And the real problem is that the the need for the person to experience deep reconciliation and healing. At some point, the psychologist discovers that there's a past hurt and the way that they sort of entered themselves into this life of hoarding is that they've tried to uh, put that stuff away over, uh, sort of stuff it away by overcoming, and as a way of overcoming the loss. They need someone to be close to them, to come alongside them, to be compassionate to them and tell them over and over and over again, you've seen the show, they probably reduce it down to you know, sufficient time for TV, but who knows how many times that person said over and over again, it's okay to let it go. It's okay to, to surrender. It's okay to hand these things over. It's okay to get rid of this stuff. It's okay to let that hurt go. It's okay to be reconciled. And the more often that they try to Resist the more restless they get and the more difficult the relationships go. And the more often that they return to the dumpster, because I mean, you can imagine yourself, you, you see the show, they throw something away, but it's not too long before they go back to the dumpster to try to get the stuff back because they just, they just can't let it go. Does this kind of anxiety feel familiar to you? Is there anything in your life that you just... You're having a hard time imagining not having that status. Or you're having a a difficult time really thinking that you you can let go of the hurt. You've learned to live with it. And you're not sure that anything can, can truly heal it. And so you, you live with it, not, not, not truly being able to entrust yourself over. And I think there's look, there's two possibilities. There's two possibilities for us today. Either you're here and you're anxious because you're, maybe for the first time you're realizing that the life that you built is unstable and you need Jesus to save you. That's the, that's the first possibility. Or you're a believer in Christ, but you so drifted away from your union with him that you've forgotten the goodness of his life in you. And you need to return. But look, so I just want to say just from the very beginning, before we get to the end, everybody in the room is implicated in Philippians 3. Look, if you need Christ for the first time, he says you rest in his righteousness. I'm just going to go ahead and flag for you where we're going today. If you need Jesus, that's where you find it. If you're in Christ, that's where you return. We don't escape from the gospel. We grow into it. But as I think about the new year, one of the things that we have to grow in is this learning Learning just to return to our unity, to, to, to draw close, to draw near to him. See, for both of them, both of you, Paul says that your freedom is found in being attached to Jesus and Jesus alone. 
He is the one that we must return to again and again and again and again and again to find rest. Not just from the penalty of sin, that would be good, but we get more. It's not just over the penalty of sin, but it's also over the power of the sin. And it's also to endure the pains of this life. In Jesus, there is rest for these things. This is so crucial. Right, resting in the righteousness of Christ is the power that we need to even begin living this, into this ever restoring life. That, that has to be the starting point. If you have a desire to experience reconciliation, to, to see fruitfulness in your life, but you're not resting in Jesus, that's the primary place that you have to go back to first. You have to rest in his righteousness. And this is something that we receive, but we also actively pursue the pattern of his life by regularly he experiences death and resurrection. And this is what Paul says in verses 10 and 11. He says, we live into the life of Jesus by regularly experiencing his death and resurrection. Look at verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If you were to ask me to identify where we need to grow the most spiritually or to identify that part of our union with Christ that's missing the most, I think it's this. It's learning to regularly die and rise with Jesus. Regularly dying and rising with Jesus. See, we believe rightly that Jesus died and rose for us. That's what Paul is getting at. In verse nine, even as first Peter three says, Christ died once for all the righteous for the unrighteous. But for many of us, we have yet to discover the joy of becoming like him in his death. This is not the pattern of our life. There's many of us here who have begun our life in Christ. Wherever, whenever that happened, you trusted in Jesus. And because salvation is dependent upon him, you are indeed secure in him, but you feel insecure because we have not yet learned to identify our life with his. And I think this is the thing that's missing. This is why we, this is why we, we struggle to grow. This is why we struggle is because I was talking, I had a conversation the other day and if you're kind of mapping out Christianity, you know, we think it's just this steady trend upward and it is, but there's these dips. And I think we just imagine that we, we can get past the dips, that we can finally do away with having to experience death and experience difficulty and experience suffering. That's just not the case. Paul says in verse 10, he goes back to a verb that he used earlier in verse eight. He says he wants to know him. It's the same verb. He says he, he wants to know him in his righteousness. He wants to know him in his resurrection. And at this point in life, Paul has known Christ for 30 years. He's known him for a long time. This isn't a new thing yet, but here he is again telling others that he still longs to know Jesus. What gives? What's different? Paul means that there is a fullness to knowing Jesus that he has not yet achieved. And it's only in the power of his resurrection, but it is through the sharing in his sufferings. Look at 
that he comes to know this. Paul Miller explains it this way, that by embracing Jesus in his dying and rising, Paul knows Jesus in ways that he would not if he were simply meditating or resting in justification by faith. As Paul reenacts the suffering and resurrection of Jesus, it knits him to Jesus. The apostle Paul says that his belief in Jesus leads him to become like him. These things are inseparable. To believe and to become are part of the one and the same salvation that Jesus offers to you. You have the power, and now it's about not really just tapping into the power. Jesus is not a life source that we just, again, it's not dispensed to us. It's by drawing near to him, walking with him, knowing his ways, having the mind of Christ. What would Jesus say? What has Jesus said? What did Jesus do with his disciples? This is something that we receive, but this is the new pattern of life. And this is the picture of baptism that we've seen so much of in the last year. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his kindness. This is the picture. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. This is why we say these things. Look, a little soapbox here. I don't know, I might go over time because of this, but um, you, guys, you guys with me? You guys okay? It's Christmas has already happened. We don't have any place to be. <laughs> When I think about, and, and, and I don't want this to come across as a rant, but just something, I think this is instructive. So many times when someone has passed through the waters and I hear the story, and you've heard the story, you've heard what they've said. I was lost. I had no hope. And then I heard, I heard about Jesus. I heard about the one who saved me. And I, look, I, I freely gave it up. And I'm standing here before you today to proclaim that I, that I am not my own. I'm buried my life in his. And you, you see this. And this is the language that we use. They're buried in the likeness of us and raised to walk in newness of life. And we, and we celebrate. And I'm, I think it's appropriate. I think it's absolutely appropriate that we celebrate because, because you saw resurrected life. But I don't want us, I think this is the instructive part, I don't want us to pass over too quickly what just happened. And what just happened, as a friend reminded me the other day, what you just witnessed was an, ex an execution. You witnessed of death. And I often joke backstage, and said, you know, you're gonna, when you hear Holy Spirit grab your nose, they're gonna put you under. And he said, you know, dad might hold you down there for a solid minute just to make sure it takes effect. <laughs> the kids love that. But that's kind of the reality is we don't wanna pass over too quickly over the death and get to a resurrection because the pattern of life that Jesus is calling into is full of daily dying. And it's only through his sufferings and only through his death that we get to experience his resurrection. Somehow over the years, we've, we've created a, a kind of Christian spirituality where things like repentance and love and suffering are missing. Paul is calling us back to him that we may know and love him more fully. Big, look, there's so much more here. I'm normally solid. You know, I'm, I'm good to, for like a 50-minute sermon. They gave me 30 today. So um, I don't know what to do the 20 minutes another time. But friends, this is the thing worth exploring. 
This is the thing worth searching your scriptures for. If I could give you anything in the new year, as you're doing this Bible reading plan, because that's one of the goals, right? Most of you are gonna give up by, by Leviticus or Numbers. But as you begin reading through the scripture, this is the thing that you should be looking for. Life in Jesus. So there's so much more, but maybe I should close our time here by reflecting on what dying and rising with Jesus might look like. I haven't been one for long, um, but so far as a parent, I've been able to identify a few things that I want my kids to know. And one of those first things, I want them to take responsibility for themselves. You know, like this is kind of basic stuff. Like I want them, look buddy, you can get up and you can go to the fridge and get your thing. Look, you can get your cheese stick. Take responsibility for yourself. Second, I want them to develop a love and a care for others. I want them to think. I mean, the example that came to, to, came to mind, hey, instead of, hey, don't hit your brother, I want to be, able to, to be able to say, hey, consider your brother. And third, I want them to be resilient and endure hard things. Seems like some good goals, right? I think most of us, if we just sort of took that plainly and said, like, this would, this would be enough. If my kids could just take responsibility from themselves, learn to appreciate one another, and just to be, have some resiliency about them, I think that would be enough. But I want to go a step further. What does this mean for them learning to die and rise with Jesus? How can those goals for our kids be transformed? Because as this is what we believe as Christians, look, we don't, we don't have a life on our own and we don't just love one another just because. We have a greater purpose than that. So how do these things get transformed? It means that in Christ, I want them to take resp the responsibility of putting to death their own sin in repentance. I want them to deal head on with their sin and put it to death because Christ has been put to death for them. It means that in Christ, I want them to develop a love and a care for others by putting themselves in the way of pain. Because to love means to pursue problems outside of themselves and lead them to go after evil and to absorb pain on behalf of others. And it means that in Christ, I want them to endure and to embrace suffering. Suffering comes to us from the outside. You didn't ask for it, it came unwanted. Pain will find them, but they can embrace it too because it will be redeemed. Jesus will be there too. And I have to teach them these things. And I have to enter into that myself so that I can say with Paul, join me in imitating me. Follow my example, sons. To paraphrase um, favorite theologian of mine, John Webster, he says, knowing God is the work for the children of Adam who are slowly learning what it is to be the children of God. We are of the children of Adam and we are slowly learning to be the children of God. We are like children slowly learning to become who we really are in Christ. Paul says that he has not obtained this, he hasn't perfected it, he's getting better at it. 
But unlike so many of the other goals that we set out for ourselves, it is only a goal achieved through the faith, working itself out in repentance, love, and suffering. It is only achieved when there is nothing else, nothing else, no one else but Jesus. Our confidence, friends, our confidence is in him and it's in him alone. It's coming to terms with that. It's a difficult thing, but that's what we're called to. And if you just give me a minute to, to witness just a bit longer, I tell you that 2021 was when I began to know Jesus in his suffering. I think if we all reflect back on, on 2020, most of us having endured a long season of COVID, we couldn't wait for 2020 to end. We did the whole big, you know, 2020, new decade, new us kind of thing, and 2020 didn't turn out the way that we wanted. But as we got towards the end of 2020, we all had this longing desire for us to end, for me and my family, we found out some news at the end of 2020 that would bring devastating and profound suffering in the year 2020. And I wasn't looking forward to 2021. I feel like it tore the narrative. And for the first time in my life, I experienced profound suffering and found myself in a place where I just realized I, I didn't know how to follow Jesus in this. And so we, me and my family, we weren't looking to 2021. But as the first part of 2021 passed, it's like, well, but surely the second part of it could be redeemed. Surely that could be okay. And it didn't. And it seemed like things got tacked on one thing after another, one level of profound suffering and learning just to grieve before the Lord and asking the question, Lord, where are you? Where are you? You know, you have those moments like, is this what I got called to? I thought you redeem, I thought you save. And it was in those moments. And I can't, friends, I can't explain it to here today. This is one of those things where it's like the spirit testifying with my spirit. This is what Romans 8 talks about, that I'm indeed a son, that indeed I am loved. And so I can't explain it today, but it was in those moments of suffering. It created a space of intimacy with him. Ron knew the kind of suffering that he went through. And just to, just to, just to hear and be told by others, he knows. He knows. I can think many of you have been coming here on Wednesday nights and in prayer. And if I'm honest, there are so many of those nights I just, I, I, I couldn't pray. I would, I would try to receive the invitation and I would try to pray and I, and I just couldn't. The only thing I could get out is, Lord, help me. And it was just about that time. I, I don't know how many times it happened. It felt like it happened so regularly. So I would see someone coming across the room, walking all the way across. Like, Where are they going? And they were coming over to me and I thought they were gonna have a question to ask me and, or to be prayed for. And instead they would go, hey, can we pray for you? There's this identification in suffering. And friends, I would tell you today, because I got I to think about the response that we, that we have here today. 
is that some of you need to rest in his righteousness. You can't even get to that, to know what that experience is like without first finding your rest in him. And so there are some of you here today, look, you've been, you've been coming, but you need to find your rest in, in Christ for the first time, that his righteousness for you. It's an invitation. There's been an invitation this whole time. Come, come, come experience rest, come experience new life. And that's available for you. But the others, so as you look towards the new year and you're like, I'm going through suffering. I've been through some stuff. I have a broken relationship and I just cannot see it right now. And the same message is come. Come and find rest. Come experiencing him and his death and resurrection. Come walk with others. That's what we needed the most. We needed somebody to walk with us. This is the beauty of the body of Christ that if you join up with this church, you get everybody. Walk in. Friends, Jesus is good and he is enough. And even, even through trials of suffering, he'll meet you. And I don't know what else to say. I feel, I feel, I feel like I'm coming to the 2021 20, just on fumes. And so I, I, what I've realized is I can't put any confidence in the year 22. I'm hoping for great things, but I myself can't put myself confidence in these things because what the scriptures tell me is that if I have Jesus, that's enough no matter what happens in 2022. And so what I would ask you to join me, follow me in that, that I'm not putting any hope in 2022, no goals of my own. I just want Jesus. I wanna know him. I wanna be like him. Father, would you meet with us now? Father, would you minister to my friends? God, would you remind them even more than, than my words can do, would you remind them of just how good you are and that there's an invitation before them right now? Maybe there's something that they've heard all year, but I pray there's a uniqueness to hearing it right now that as we close out this year, that they would respond. God, for salvation for the first time, God, that they would see the beauty of Jesus, that they would know him, and the power of his resurrection. And for those of you who are looking like, man, I just, I just wanna, I do need to grow. I do need to follow him. I pray that you would give wisdom and discernment, but they would invite others to walk with them. So God, would you do a work that only you can do right now? Thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done and what you're gonna do. We pray this in your name, amen.